0: It's tempting to dismiss strange details in dreams as mere chaos, or the mind playing, or something left over from the day's experiences. But if you can find the right connection, even the smallest details can contain powerful messages. From dreams of gunshots to marbles, music competitions to coyotes, I'll show you how to make sense of the language of dreams. Hello, and welcome to The Stuff of Dreams. I'm your host, Amy Lawson, and my goal is to connect you with your dreams in a more fun and meaningful way so you can interpret the messages your unconscious is sending. This week's episode is about the smallest details in dreams. First, we'll look at a dream where a single image from it helped to crack open the entire dream itself. Then we'll see a dream that really just consists of one image for the entire dream, and... Then I'll take you through one of my own dreams where a specific phrase that I remember contains, in a nutshell, the entire moral of the story. And as a special treat, at least for me, the interview this week will be with my nieces and nephew so that you can see how we can even make meaning from children's dreams. Okay, our first dream comes from an 18-year-old male, and as always, I only use dreams with the dreamer's permission. Here's the dream. It started in an airport where I've just come back from the Netherlands. I met a nice lad at the airport who ended up staying at my house, so we must be friends, although he seemed younger than me. In my house, I kept thinking about how much of a nice guy he was. However, he kept going downstairs quite a few times, and I started going down after him to see what he was doing, like I didn't trust him. We went out to a small town square. It had a lovely bright sky, and the sun was out. My friend went to go see someone in a shop, But before he got there, I heard gunshots, and in the crowd, I saw three people holding small black pistols. People were running and screaming and trying to get away. I started running away, too, of course. I made eye contact with one man holding a gun, then started to run. He shot at me and missed. However, I kept running, and then I felt a gunshot in the back of my head. Somehow, I also saw the back of my head where the bullet had been, which had a bloody red hole in the back of my left temple. In real life, my heart started beating extremely fast, and I woke up. After being up for about 10 minutes, I started feeling where the gunshot was in my head, like I really had been shot. It felt like it was tingling or something. Okay, that's the dream. To recap, he's just returned from the Netherlands, and at the airport, he meets a younger friend who repeatedly goes downstairs in their house. Then they go out to the square, meet three men with guns, and he gets chased and shot. So I want to get to the gunshot wound because that's the really fascinating part. But I'm going to I'm going to make you sit through a few other things first. So this idea that the dream starts in the airport and he's just come back from the Netherlands. Well, that's something specific, the Netherlands. And so let's think about what we could make from that. Just like we've talked about how dreams choose certain people for a reason. I think dreams would choose a country for a reason, too. So what things might stick out about the Netherlands? When I think of the Netherlands, I think of a few things. So first, I think about a country that is very associated with water. They use a lot of infrastructure and technology to control the water and be able to keep parts of their country dry. I'm sure you've seen the pictures of the, some of the canals that they have there. Um, they have areas of farmland surrounded by water. And since water symbolizes the unconscious, the Netherlands seems like a place that's very near there, right? It's the entire country is very near a border between land and water. So the fact that his psyche is situating the dream in the airport, having just come back from the Netherlands, makes me think that this is about conscious, unconscious relations or about, you know, having just taken a journey further into the unconscious. I also think of the Netherlands as a pretty permissive country. A lot of drugs are legal there. Prostitution is legal there. Tourists often go there to experience things that they can't necessarily experience in their home countries. And so there's also a connotation of freedom to me when I think about a dream that might be set near the Netherlands. So the dreamer and his younger friend go back to his house and he notices that his friend keeps going downstairs multiple times. And we've talked about many times before that dream geography like that means something. So in general, houses symbolize our whole psyches. And so the higher you are in the house, the closer you are to mind and conscious. And the lower you are in the house, like going downstairs or into the basement, the closer you're going into the unconscious. So to me, this friend figure is part of the dreamer that's a little younger, a little less mature, a little more willing to take risks and go down into the basement and see what's there. And the dreamer mentions that he started going downstairs after his friend to see what he was doing because it felt like he didn't trust him. And so I wonder if this dreamer has a little bit of a suspicious feeling about the unconscious, like you can't quite trust it all the time, like examining it, or exploring in it is a little bit frightening and not quite to be trusted. So then they leave the house and go out to the town square on a beautiful, bright, sunny day. So you think, oh, everything's going to be good. This is a, a nice, cheerful setting. And his friend goes to a shop. But even before that happens, the dreamer hears gunshots and sees three men with guns. Well, there's a number, a specific number of three. So... What could that specific detail mean? I think we've also talked before about numbers and how three is a number of transformation often because it's the number right before four, which is considered a perfect number or a representation of wholeness. So when you dream of three of something, it's often about something that's going to transform, something that's going to change, something that's more than a sum of its parts. It's more than just one plus one is two. So even though this seems like a negative image of guns and being shot, to me, the fact that there are three, that the number three is mentioned, means that there's at least the potential here for some transformation. So let's see where and if that bears out. So he's in the town square. He's away from his house now, right? He's away from the safe part of his usual psyche, out in a broad open space where there are a lot more people who are unfamiliar. So he's kind of in a more unfamiliar part of his psyche, symbolically. And this man with a gun starts chasing him and ends up shooting him in the head, specifically toward the back of the head, um, the back of his left temple. And he also includes the detail that he knows and can feel that he got shot, but he also has a view where he can see the back of his head and he can see the wound. So there's clearly kind of a dual point of view, like he's the one being shot, but he also is identifying a little bit with the shooter. And this being shot in the back of the head while running away seems even more threatening, right? It's not like he did anything to provoke this and he was actively trying to get away from it, but still the shooter's pursuing him. So that definitely feels like an image of being threatened, of being afraid of something that's chasing you. So I wonder what's going on in his life that's making him feel like he's not quite safe or he needs to run away. I actually had the luxury of a long back and forth conversation with this dreamer as we really tried to get into this dream. And some of the things that I predicted and have already talked about do seem true. Um, He's recently undertaken a course of self-improvement where he's making some changes in habits and behaviors and he's trying to get more into his dreams and inner work. But he has mentioned that he's sometimes a little suspicious of his unconscious and um, not quite trusting of it. So I think that's where some of the threat is coming from. But I was really interested in where this bullet wound was because it was such a specific place and he remembered it. And if you remember when he wrote the dream, he wrote that even after he woke up, he could feel that place on the left side of his head, that it felt tingly. And he just had a sense of where that bullet must have entered his head. So clearly this detail and this specific location means something. But it took us a while to figure it out. He'd been doing the usual thing of looking up gunshot wounds online and what they mean. And he was telling me some of the stuff he was coming up with and why it didn't click for him. He mentioned that he found that a gunshot wound could represent something financial, but that didn't fit for him because he's still a student and not working right now. So there's nothing really going on about getting money at the present time. He found something about seeing a shooting could mean an unhappy marriage or relationship, but he's not in a relationship right now, so that doesn't apply to him. He found something that it could mean being fired from a job, but that didn't seem to relate. He mentions that one of his first impressions is that maybe he shot himself because he had failed in some attempt to change something. But then another website he was looking at said the complete opposite thing, and that was very annoying to him. So I definitely applaud him for trying to look and figure this out. I'm not a huge fan of Dream dictionaries in some people's hands because they let them be very concrete and they want the dictionary to always say that a symbol means a certain thing and they want it to be a hard and fast rule, and that's just not true. But as I showed you in the animal episode, when you look things up like that, you can kind of read them with a sort of soft focus in your mind and you can look for where the energy is and what maybe resonates and all of those different options for what something might mean may give you ideas or nudge you in directions where you can figure out what clicks for you. So I just tried asking more questions. Um, he mentioned that he could really feel his heartbeat intensely after he was shot. And so I said, you know, what was important about that? Were you worried that you were gonna die because all your blood would get pumped out? or was it the opposite? Like you were you feeling more alive, like you were able to feel your heart again? He had written that it seemed so important, the fact that he could feel his heart beating. And so we went at it from that angle. And all of a sudden, he messaged me, have you watched Fight Club? And I was like, yeah, I've seen Fight Club. And all of a sudden, it clicked for him. And he sent me a YouTube video of one of the scenes from Fight Club, which I will try to describe to you here. So the scene takes place back behind a convenience store. And... To the horror of the narrator main character, Tyler Durden forces the convenience store clerk outside at gunpoint and makes him kneel and holds a gun to the back of his head. He pulls the guy's wallet out of his pocket and finds an expired community college ID. And Tyler demands to know, what did you study there? And the clerk, whose name is Raymond, tells him that He studied biology. Why did you want to study biology? And he finally admits he wanted to be a veterinarian, but it was too much school. So Tyler says, would you rather be dead? Rather die here on your knees in the back of a convenience store? And he tells the guy, I'm going to check in on you. And if you're not on your way to becoming a veterinarian in six weeks, you'll be dead. So the guy runs away and Tyler and the narrator have a conversation. And the narrator is horrified at this. And Tyler says, imagine how he feels. Tomorrow will be the most beautiful day of his life. His breakfast will taste better than any meal you or I have ever tasted. So basically the moral of the story is the guy had to be forced into pursuing his dreams. So the dreamer sends me this scene and then in all caps messages me, look at where the gun is pointed because the gun is pointed at Raymond's back left side of his head behind his temple. The dreamer writes, Raymond gets killed if he doesn't do his best and if he goes back to being complacent. That's what I thought the meaning was somehow. I forgot about the film, but that's nearly the exact same gun and it's the same location. So we had some more conversation about this dream and the dreamer pointed out that, you know, in the film, the guy had gotten complacent, given up on going to university and fulfilling his full potential. So then, Tyler was giving him a big consequence where if you don't try hard, there's going to be a huge consequence. I'm going to kill you. And the dreamer mentioned that, like metaphorically, he wishes that he could feel like a gun was put to his head and that he was going to be killed if he wasn't studying and bettering himself and making better habits than he's had before. He wrote, I think the main thing is that there are things I know I want to do and big goals that I have, but since there's no symbolic gun to my head, I stop doing the things that I want to achieve in the long term. But if there was a gun to my head, I'd make no excuses and I'd do everything to the 100% best of my ability. In real life, I'm not really scared by the consequences, but like the movie, if your life was on the line, then who knows how much you could accomplish. So I think we can all sympathize with this. You know, it can be really hard to or at least for me, I can sympathize with it. It can be so hard to motivate myself from within. I do much better when I'm motivated from without, when I'm told when to show up for my shift or when I try to get a podcast out every Friday. You know, that's kind of an external motivation, not just a, I'm going to make myself do this right now. So, oh, and that reminds me of one other thing about the dream. Um, When we were having some conversations and trying to really figure out the gist of it, one of the questions I was asking was why they went to the town square did he have a sense of why was it in order to accomplish something or shopping or a day trip or like what you know what was the motivation for being there since that was what put him in contact with the gunman and he said that he didn't know why he just knew that his friend wanted to go so he just kind of tagged along and to me that's another image of you know the lack of motivation that he's Been worrying about that he thinks that symbolically being threatened with a gun could fix. He didn't set out to the town square on purpose or with some goal of getting something accomplished. He was just tagging along after some other less mature part of himself. So, again, just reiterates that feeling of not quite charting his own course or being worried that he wasn't quite planning and accomplishing enough. So, I hope this dream has showed you how. We had some general idea of the subject matter of the dream, just from it being set in the Netherlands, which is probably a representation of unconscious stuff, and the friend going downstairs, so doing some sort of work. But we really didn't make any huge headway into the dream until we focused on that location of the gunshot wound. And then he made the connection with Fight Club, and the entire dream really opened up and became a lot more important, so... If you have dreams with certain details that really seem important, I mean, that's what he said in the post, it seemed important that I could feel where I had been shot even when I woke up, I could feel my heart pounding like that. That's your psyche trying to show you where the energy is in the dream and where the high yield parts could be if you can just make the right connection. Okay, so the next dream is a recurring dream. You guys know how much I love recurring dreams. And the title of the post that drew me in and just made me have to read it was Terrifying Reoccurring Dream That Really Shouldn't Be. And I was like, huh, why shouldn't it be? Let's see what this says. Okay, so here's the dream. So I've had a recurring dream since I was a little kid. I'm in my mid-30s now. The dream was more frequent when I was a youth, but still occurs about once or twice a year. The dream is an infinite beige carpet And a small metal ball just rolls around on the carpet on its own. I'm not present on this carpet. It's more like I'm just watching it. In my mind, while asleep, it is extremely terrifying. But if I saw the exact same scenario awake, it would elicit no response at all. Like when I wake up, I know it isn't really scary, but that doesn't change how I respond when dreaming. I do not dream often, but when I do, it is typically anxiety-ridden scenarios based on relationships, loss, or containment. Okay, so that's the dream. The entire image is just an infinitely large beige carpet and a small metal ball just rolling around on it. And for some reason, that's terrifying to the dreamer. Well, I was like, challenge accepted. I've got to figure this out. There's not much to go on, but that's so interesting. Why would carpet and a ball be terrifying for someone? So I started to think about it and I started to visualize that picture of just this infinite beige carpet, which is just so neutral and so blah. You know, it's not even an exciting color. It's just a boring beige carpet as far as you can see. And this metal ball rolling around on it, which the image I get is that, you know, it can go anywhere. He doesn't say there's any topology to the carpet. There's not hills and valleys that we can tell. It's just infinite flatness. And so the ball can really go anywhere. And that's what made me start to think because he's been having this dream since he was A small child. So, especially for a child, why would a carpet and a ball that can roll anywhere be scary? Well, I'm a pediatrician too, so I do know a little bit about child development. And the intuition that I got here, what really struck me is this feeling of not having any boundaries, right? The carpet is infinite, the ball can go anywhere on it, there's no obstacles that the ball can hit, there's no fence that's fencing it in. There's no containment of any kind. And in general, children need boundaries of some way. You know, that's what all the terrible twos and three-year olds, that's what they're doing is learning their world by testing boundaries. And they'll push you and push you and push you till they figure out where it is. Older kids do that too. Teenagers go through another round of that. And the general wisdom is that the medium sort of parenting style is probably healthiest for children. The kids who are super tightly hemmed in where they can't even make any choices or decisions for their own because their parents are shepherding them and protecting them so much. Well, they don't learn how to set their own course and they don't learn to trust themselves and their own abilities to you know, navigate their lives. And then the other extreme of parents who don't provide any boundaries at all and just let the kid do whatever they want, that's thought to be not quite as healthy in the other direction because the children don't have that opportunity of testing boundaries and figuring out what it is their parents care about and feeling shepherded and disciplined and cared about enough to be taught. The middle ground for a lot of people is thought to be the healthiest kind of parenting because you're giving your kids some leeway, letting them make some choices and try some things and make some mistakes and learn from those, but yet in a safe enough way where the kids know that, you know, the parent isn't going to let them go too far. They're not going to get hurt too badly. They're not going to risk too much. So that's where my mind went with this dream and with the almost inappropriate emotion where this infinite freedom that the ball has is actually scary to the dreamer. The ball's just kind of moving aimlessly and pointlessly. Nothing sticks out of the landscape of the carpet. Nothing can be shaped into concrete events. So I wrote to him that I wondered whether that was how he felt as a child to some extent in his family. I asked him if some part of his childhood felt too free or too infinite without enough rules or fences or the good kind of discipline. And additionally, the fact that he didn't even really feel like a character in his dream, he just felt like he was an observer and not even someone who acted in it or could affect the dream, gives me even more of that sense of detachment or disengagement. So that's what I sent him. And the response I got was... A lot of that hits. I didn't have a bad upbringing at all, but my parents definitely didn't have a ton of structure or rules. They were young, and there were four of us kids. School expectations were basically, don't fail, and that was it. I do have a little bit of disdain with that, as I've had an issue with putting minimal effort into the things that are most important, just enough to get by without making waves. I have a son now, and I place a lot of emphasis on his taking his schoolwork seriously and creating a habit of doing his schoolwork before anything else. I don't think my parents ever even asked me if I had homework. So there you go. This recurring dream that's happened over the last many years since childhood was really his unconscious starting to comment to him even at a very early age that lack of boundaries, lack of containment, an infinite ability to just roll anywhere without bumping up against anything was one of the things that was the most scary to him. So if any of you are parents out there and want to know, if your children are having recurring dreams, talking to them about those and figuring out what the recurring elements are may help you to get to whatever aspect of your child's psyche is really hurting or scared or needs something different in some way. All right, the last two dreams were a bit heavy, so let's do a lighter dream, one of mine. Here's the dream. Today is the day of an important piano competition or audition where I'll be judged. I bring all my materials and place them on a table in the room because I'm up first. There was just one line in the instructions about what to bring, and I hope I've interpreted it correctly. The judge, a middle-aged blonde woman, comes in and goes through the papers. It said to bring notes. That was the instruction. So I wrote these about the piece I'm playing. I hope that's what it meant, I say. No, she says. And goes over to sit uncomfortably close to the piano. I take my place at the keyboard, placing the music in front of me. I sit down to play, but the keyboard seems too tall and I'm sitting too low. I adjust the piano bench to be higher and sit again, wishing I'd done this before the judge came in, as now she's just staring at me. I suddenly realize that with all my other preparations for today, I haven't actually played through the piece in a couple of weeks. I begin playing, but the music won't flow. I try to just play from the sheet music, but it feels different. My positioning is wrong, and I can't get my muscle memory to work even after restarting many times. I feel panicked and embarrassed. I keep apologizing. I realize the instructions about bringing notes meant to bring the musical notes, not written materials. In other words, be prepared to play. I know I have failed. Then, all of a sudden, the judge is giving me half of a gooey chocolate chip cookie that she's eating. And I see a pile of them beside me and realize I've brought them too. She says, taste that. You made these and they're wonderful. I taste how good they are and realize if I can do that, I can also play this music. And I feel new confidence as I prepare to play again. So we talk often about how dreams speak in symbols and metaphors, but they also have language in them. People often have certain dreams where they just remember a few words, or they remember a particular phrase, and if you ever remember something really specific like that, it's probably important. For this dream, the one line of instructions said to bring notes, and being the A student, 4.0 GPA, doctor, now with the PhD, who is very comfortable in a school setting, I interpreted bringing notes as, let's research everything. I want to write some history about who wrote this piece and when and what it's supposed to mean and what it's structured like. And I just have this image in my head of these sheafs of paper that I bring in and put on the table. But that was me misinterpreting. And here's another interesting thing that dreams will often do. Because they don't really know about spelling or exact definitions of things, dreams really often speak in puns. Or they speak in homonyms, meaning using words that sound alike but are spelled differently. Not in this case, but if you ever have a dream with an important word, try, are there any other different spellings that could give it a different meaning? Because it may mean that too. So the instructions said to bring notes, but really they meant to bring the musical notes. Bring my abilities, bring my muscle memory and my practice and my ability to make my fingers produce the music. I'm wanting to do well in this competition and to win or to get a good rating to impress the judge. And my usual way to do that that's worked well for me in a lot of places in my life is to do it in a school way and research and write things and take notes. But more and more I'm realizing in my life that my work and what I'm supposed to be learning is to go out in the world and do things and to not be afraid to do that instead of staying in my head or staying in the safe place of taking notes and writing and taking tests. And there's also an interesting somatic component to this dream, right? Somatic means referring to the body because I theoretically know the music and I want to play, but The middle part of the dream has a lot of body feelings in it where I don't know if any of you are musicians, but like if you're sitting at a piano and the keyboard seems too high or the bench is too low, it feels completely different. And it's really hard to use that muscle memory to strike the right notes. And so I have this sense of being uncomfortable in the way that my body is positioned. And so my body can't successfully perform the task that it's being asked to perform, even though my brain theoretically knows this piece. That's another piece of my work that's been really important over the last few years is getting back into my body, because it's never really been my strong suit. I was a slow runner. I remember my coaches making fun of me. I knew from an early age that it was not my body or my athletic ability that was going to get me anywhere. Although I was a decent softball catcher because you didn't have to be fast to do that. And my dad helped me practice a lot. But um, And then I got cancer when I was 19 and I've had a weak leg since then. And so I learned even more not to trust my body and I've paid a lot of attention to the bodies of others because I'm a doctor, but I've really sort of ignored my own. And so this dream, I think, was also reinforcing that path of you have to actually do things, you have to use your body, you have to practice in order to fully achieve what you want to achieve. And the last part of the dream, I think, is along those lines, too, because I don't remember, but all of a sudden the judge gives me this gooey chocolate chip cookie that apparently I've brought. And yeah, I brought the sheafs of paper, all my notes that I produced with my mind, but I also brought cookies that I produced with the actions of my hands. And even when the actions of my hands at the piano keyboard hadn't necessarily been successful and the judge was not impressed by those, she was impressed by these cookies. She says, taste that. You made these and they're wonderful. And that reconnection with the talents of my body and the abilities of what I can do, that I can make something sweet and delicious and like a treat and nourishing for us, and the judge can praise me for that, gives me more confidence that I can go ahead and tackle playing this piano piece again. So that's my dream about remember to bring your notes. And I think of that line occasionally, That specific line isn't in the dream, but that's my sum up of the dream is, Amy, remember to bring your notes. And that doesn't mean your school notes. That means bring your talents, bring your hands, bring the practice that you've done, bring the muscle memories that you've developed, bring your ability to shape things somehow instead of just your ability to type up some research notes. (laughs) All right. I like to have other people's voices on the podcast whenever possible. And this week I got to talk to my nieces and nephew who live in Kansas about their dreams. Some of you may have listened to my COVID dreams episode where I interviewed my sister, Beth Aller, and these are three of her four children. Noble is only 10 months old, so he can't tell me his dreams yet, unfortunately, but I have high hopes in the future. So I've been talking to Lila about telling me her dreams on the podcast for a while now, but the other day I got a video chat at work and it was Maya, who is one of my sister's twins. She has three-year-old girl boy twins. And Maya, the three-year-old FaceTimed me to say, Mamie, I want to tell you my dream on your podcast. So first we're going to hear from Lila and she mostly explains her dream great, but I feel like you need to know a couple of things about her first dream. You need to know that They live on, I don't know, 20 or 30 acres of land and they have a herd of eight miniature goats that roam their yard. So those will be important in the dream. (laughs) So first you should probably tell me, tell me your name and how old you are.
1: My name is Lila and I am seven, almost eight. And
0: do you have a dream you want to talk about today? Yes. Yes. And do you wish that I was there in person to play with you instead of doing this silly podcast? Yes. Yes, I know. Okay. So tell me, tell us the dream, tell us the whole story, and then maybe we can talk about it and answer some questions. So,
1: so my dream is so I was going downstairs to get a drink and I saw something out of my window and mm-hmm. I thought it was a, um, Like scary wolf, and then I thought it can't be a wolf. Wolves don't exist around here. Okay, but they do still exist. But they didn't exist where I live. Then, like about ten minutes later, I went down again. Didn't tell anybody about it, and I set a an alarm for ten minutes because I wanted to see how it looked in ten minutes. And it was closer. It was like maybe three miles closer because it was quite Mm. far away, and it looked. Somehow it looked big from quite far away. I don't know how.
0: How did it look the second time then? You said it looked closer.
1: It looks a little smaller. I thought, is that a coyote? And I was like, no, it's still a little bit too big and it does not at all look like one.
0: Mm, So that's how you knew it was a wolf instead of a coyote?
1: Well, I said wolves don't exist around here, so it wasn't a wolf. And then I I thought, it can't be a coyote. So instead of 10 minutes later, I chose 15 minutes later. Mm -hmm. So those 15 minutes later, I went back down. I set an alarm for 15 minutes. And my mom said that it was bedtime. And I was like, hold on, Mom. I have to go downstairs really fast. I saw something weird, and I need to check on it again. That's why I've been setting these alarms. Mm -hmm. And so I went down, and it was closer.
0: Uh
1: It was closer, but it didn't really look like anything to me. So I went upstairs, and I told Mom that... I asked her if I could please set an alarm for two minutes. And she said, okay, just two minutes, then you come back up here. Okay. And I was like, all right. So I went down there two minutes later, and it was actually quite close to our yard. Mm -hmm.
0: And what did it look like that time?
1: It still didn't really look like much.
0: Do you mean it just looked small, or it didn't look scary, or what do you mean?
1: At that point, it looked smaller. Mm -hmm. Like, from far away, it was big, and then when it came closer, it was small. Oh. It looked like a bunny rabbit, small.
0: Oh, so then it really wasn't so, scary at all, huh?
1: No, it wasn't scary at that time, but it was still scary because it could have been a wolf or a coyote, well, just a coyote. So I asked mom, okay, I'm done, but can I please have at least one or two more minutes? And it was like late. It was like 11 something. Mm-hmm. So I went down one minute later. I shortened it. I went down one minute later. Mm-hmm. And it was really close and it wasn't big or small. It was medium size. Mm-hmm. It also looks like it had, like, something in its mouth. When it was in its mouth, it looked like one of our goats. Then when it was really close, I looked at it and was like, oh, my gosh. What? That is nothing scary. That is mama goat. I guess you just traveled a long way away.
0: <gasps> so, really, you think it was mama goat all along?
1: Yeah, I guess she was carrying like a ton of leaves in her mouth. Mm. So I guess she was just um, taking all the leaves to her um, other seven friends. Oh. girlfriends. friends.
0: And how come you call her Mama Goat? Is she really the Mama Goat or is that just her name in life or what?
1: Um, she's a Mama Goat for a group of three.
0: Mm. Okay, got it. So what do you think? Did that dream make you feel better? Because something that was scary at first turned out not to be? Or how did you feel about the dream?
1: I didn't feel better.
0: You didn't feel better. How come?
1: Actually, I was about to wake up because it was a scary dream. Uh At first, before I woke up, I continued the dream. And then in the dream, I was like, that was really funny. (laughs)
0: Okay, I have one more question for you about wolves, though. What what do you think about wolves? Like, are they really scary to you? Are wolves, like, in a good story that you've read? Or they're, like, only scary?
1: Well, they're pretty much scary the only story i've ever read about them is um little pigs
0: well that was about a four minute dream conversation with lila but i think we learned quite a bit so the dream is set inside her own house which suggests that that's a picture of her psyche And this is a clue to some of those internal dynamics going on. So it starts that she sees something that's outside of the house, far away, something that maybe seems scary. She can't explain it. It might be threatening. And so she spends the first part of the dream periodically monitoring that and seeing what's happening. Is it coming closer? Is it changing? And she does tend to be a pretty cautious child who likes to you know, keep an eye on things and know what's coming. And so this makes sense with her psychological makeup that she would want to be keeping an eye on something that might be threatening the house. She's the oldest child, and so she, you know, likes to take care of the other kids, and this just very much fits into her role in the family. And as she periodically takes a look outside and notices what this thing is or how it might be changing, At first, it looks far away and it looks really big. And then each time she checks, it looks closer, but it also looks smaller. And at first, she's worried that it's a wolf or a coyote, you know, a predator, something, you know, more animal, something that is carnivorous and could actually hurt her or some of their other animals. But then slowly, it gets smaller and less scary Till it's one point, she says, the size of a bunny rabbit. And then finally, she realizes that it's not a big wolf. It's actually this mama goat that exists in real life. And she has this big mouthful of stuff that she's bringing back for her kids and the other goats. That was the most striking thing to me in this dream. And the message that I think her unconscious is trying to convince her of is that things that look big and scary when they're way off in the distance may turn out to be not so scary, may turn out to be something that's more easily explained, may turn out to be something that's actually very natural and maternal and nurturing. She was a little hesitant to say that the dream wasn't scary at all, but she did say by the end that it was just funny and You know, the unconscious sends these images and it's still working. It's still convincing us of things. It's still, you know, active in the background, even in kids who aren't closely analyzing their dreams and like we do and trying to make logical and rational sense of them as much as we can. Because dreams often speak in emotions as well. And I think the change in Lila's emotions during this dream was probably another important message from her unconscious. That what at first seems scary can turn into being loving and nice and animal-like and like a mama goat taking care of her babies and even funny. So it seems like it's a very reassuring dream. So I hope that you... We're entertained by that. She's also clearly a little storyteller and likes to have all of the steps in there. The other thing is that I think kids' dreams tend to be a little more concrete as far as how the dreams operate because kids kids haven't experienced quite as many other things for the dream to draw from. So there will often be those everyday dynamics of, okay, it's almost bedtime. I got to ask mom, can I set my phone alarm and go down and check on this again? And I have to keep asking permission because, you know, that's just how her life works. So kid dreams in those ways can be more Not mundane, but more everyday and more, you know, following the rules of life in certain ways. But that doesn't mean that they don't have important other messages to teach us.
1: And I can't believe I remember this. This was like one or two months ago.
0: So you think it was an important one then? Is that why you remember it?
1: Yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. I cannot remember a dream from two nights ago.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. Sometimes you can remember them really well and sometimes not. That's true.
1: Oh, wait. I remember one from last night. Oh, okay. Can I say it? Sure. Let's hear. It's kind of a short one. Okay. Um. So my favorite YouTuber, there was this like weird portal thing. And I mm-hmm. snapped both of my fingers. And then my favorite YouTuber okay. was standing right in front of me on the couch. He was actually sitting by me. His name is Preston Plays. And then his wife, Brianna Plays. Um, I wanted her to come. And I talked to him and I'm like, you and your wife, Brianna, are also my favorite YouTubers. So I want to get her to my house, too. And he was like, well, you're going to have to figure a way out how to do that because she is not really easy to trick. And then we snapped both of our fingers and we actually went to his house. And then we worked out a plan. So we were like, I know. We should tell her that at my house, I have her world somehow. And there's a whole entire inventory filled with 64 diamonds, 64 64, Ooh, 64, 64, 64, from Minecraft. And so we went to find her in the house and she was eating. And so right at that time, I told her the plan and I was like, oh my gosh, Brianna, I found you. And they was like, come to my house. But she was like, no, I will not. I'm staying here and finishing my lunch. And then I told her what me and Preston have worked out. I said, well, we have a whole entire inventory from Minecraft filled with diamonds. So you come to my house, and I'll give them all to you. So she's mm. like, oh, my gosh, really? Okay, I'll come now. So we all snapped our fingers, and we went to my house. Oh. So I told her, stay here. I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. I went into her world in creative mode because mm-hmm. it's a multiplayer. And I got a stack of 64 diamonds, like a whole inventory full from Minecraft. And then I was like, okay, Don, Come here. Come here. And then she looked in her inventory Filled with diamonds. Oh. And diamonds are the most important thing in Minecraft. Right. Because diamonds, you can make armor. It's the only last thing that you can make armor Mm -hmm. and other stuff out of.
0: So she was happy to get the diamonds then once she saw them?
1: Yeah, I was like, Preston, we should trick her. And then I was like, no, she'll snap her fingers and go back to your house. So we Mm -hmm. can't do that.
0: So there's Lila's other dream. Did you hear me start to get excited about 64? Because it's like a really good number. And then I realized, oh, it's it's the number from Minecraft. That's where she got it. But, you know, 64, that's like eight times eight. It's four to the third power. So it's like, you know, four is that number of perfection or wholeness or whatever. But um, I think probably also this was just from Minecraft. Although maybe that's why Minecraft chose that number. Who knows? Um, so to me, this dream is about... Lila's relationship with these personalities that she likes to watch, that she enjoys. You know, they're adults who put out content for kids. Um, And so it's kind of a older, wiser, yet fun connection that she makes with these people. So if we're going with that this is internal dynamics, it could be about parts of herself. But I'm thinking that this is a, a kid dream. And this probably is more about Lila wanting to interact with, you know, things further outside herself and establish herself more and have, you know, those broader relationships. And so the first thought is, you know, do we trick this person to get her to come here? Do we trick Brianna plays so that she'll come to see me? But I think one of the important things in the dream is that she realizes, no, we shouldn't have this relationship based on tricking. It should be based on value and what does she value? Well, apparently they all play Minecraft. And so Lila wants to give some of the diamonds that she has in her inventory so that she can connect with this YouTube celebrity in a real way based on value and respect, honestly, I think, instead of tricking. I didn't make a lot more of that dream. I think it was just a fun one, but I did like the way that it underlined the importance of being honest and bringing value into relationships.
1: I hope i will get to see her in real life someday
0: yeah when all this quarantine nonsense is done right maybe you'll be a famous youtuber too and then you guys can go to all the same youtube conventions
1: well i could be a youtuber dad said that we'll talk about it. i could start a youtube channel maybe we have to talk about it when i'm either 11 or 12 we will be right back after this short commercial um i will go get a twin
0: Okay, Maya's next, and I'll be your three-year-old language interpreter in a few places. Hi, Maya. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah. I'm so happy to see you and talk to you. <laughs> Which dream do you want to tell me today? I need you to tell me the story of a dream.
2: Dream? Uh, can't say my dream now.
0: Yes. Will you tell me? Tell me what's your name? Maya. And how old are you? I'm three. And what's your dream?
2: Tell me, tell me. So, um, a boy and a girl were trying to fly like a witch was, and.
0: A boy and a girl were trying to fly like a witch was.
2: And they were sleeping and they heard a noise, and then the mom and dad.
0: And they were sleeping and then they heard a noise, and then the mom and dad woke up.
2: And then they tried to get down there and take the witch's broom.
0: Oh. And then the kids went down there and tried to take the witch's broom.
2: But the brother left his broom outside, and he couldn't ride in the house for a little bit. And... The witch did the spell on the brother and the sister.
0: Oh, what did the spell do?
2: They turned the brother and the sister to a (gasps) fox. They turned them
0: into a fox?
2: Frog! Oh, a frog. They were both... Did
0: they turn two people into just one frog? no. Two people to
2: two frogs.
0: To two frogs. Mm. And then what happened after she turned them into frogs?
2: The mom and dad tell the witch to turn them back into normal people, and then the, the witch turned them into normal people.
0: Turned them back into normal people. Okay, so in this dream, a boy and a girl, which just happens to be kind of like Maya and her twin brother, were playing witch for pretend. And then they went to sleep and they heard a noise and it must have been a witch downstairs. And so they went downstairs and stole the witch's broom. So the witch retaliated and did a spell and turned them into frogs. But the mom and dad, who had already woken up, told the witch to turn them back into normal people. And so the witch turned them back into normal people. So this dream is a mix of normal daily dynamics with parents protecting children and the fairy tales and stories that kids love to read and play pretend with so you can see that these kids were playing witch and then while they were sleeping a witch really came and so they wanted to steal the witch's magic they wanted to steal her broom so that they could fly too But even at three, Maya already knows that there's some danger to that, right? And that the witch might get back at them, and she does. She turns them into a frog. But the utter trust in the parents is obvious here. But then mom and dad told the witch to turn us back into normal people, and so she did. Or, well, I guess Maya isn't saying in the dream that it's definitely she and her twin brother, but that's what I'm assuming. So I think that when kids have these dreams where the parents just absolutely save them, that that shows a good relationship, that shows that the kids are feeling safe, and that they feel like their parents do have, you know, the power to protect them. I think this dream is about wanting something bigger and older and more powerful, you know, wanting the witch's magic, wanting to be able to fly, but knowing that that's a little bit dangerous, and that the witch is more powerful than them, but that if anything goes wrong, Mom and Dad can save us. I think I'd be a little worried if a kid was having lots and lots of dreams about not being protected or parents not being able to save them. Luckily, that's not the case here.
2: But now I'm going to tell you to start the Sata dream. Okay, I'm ready. Go ahead. So, when we wanted to go outside, we saw Santas, and then they just saw my Mom and Dad and Lila and Noble and Merrick and I was alone and myself.
0: So when we wanted to go outside, we saw shooters, and then they just shot my mom and dad and Lila and Noble and Merrick. That's the whole family, and I was alone with myself
2: and my stuff was here with me. And then, then I got. Black Sheepy and then they came back alive and they shot them again, my family again and again and again but then they say and help me and help me try to get them away.
0: And I had my stuffed animal Black Sheepy here with me and then they came back alive and they shot my family again and again and again. But then the family stayed alive and helped me and helped me try to get them away.
2: And and then they shot our stuff, and we tried to get our stuff back where we were, and that's the end.
0: And then they shot our stuff, and we tried to get our stuff back where we were, and that's the end. So here, just like with Lila's dream, we have the dynamics of the family being threatened by something, and... I think that's really common for young children. You know, the family is their world. That's where they exist. And so one of the most scary things would be something that would threaten or kill their family. So here we have shooters. The shooters shoot her whole family and then she's just alone. But then she has her stuffed animals and the family is able to come back alive. And the shooters shoot them again and again and again. But then finally the family stays alive and helps Maya To get the shooters away. And she's safe. I have to add that I couldn't get her to tell me that day. But the first time she told me this dream when she FaceTimed, she also had a baby. Like she had a child of her own. And when she told me that the shooters were shooting her family, they never shot Maya and they never shot the baby either. So she and her baby were the ones that were able to stay alive. In this dream, it was just her and her stuffed animals. But I like the her and her baby staying alive even more because to me especially with the variation of having a baby that they also couldn't kill this dream is a dream of self-efficacy it's that the shooters are shooting everybody else in the family but maya and or her stuffed animals or her baby are able to stay alive and help the family come back alive and then together they can all get the shooters away so i think this is a dream of self-confidence um and it's also still a dream of relying on your family to be able to fight off the bad guys so i thought this was a good dream too you did a good job thank you for telling me merrick's turn, merrick's turn. okay thank you maya hi merrick hi, i'm so excited that you had a dream to tell me what's your name
2: Merrick.
0: And how old are you?
2: Three years old.
0: Okay, and tell me about your dream.
2: I had a bad dream. I had a bad dream. When I was sleeping, I thought that I was sleeping in the living room. Then mm-hmm. I just woke up, and I just blinked my eyes so fast, and then I thought I was sleeping in the living room, and I turned my head and thought I was in the living in the living room chair.
0: But you weren't. You were in bed.
2: Yeah, I was sleeping in bed.
0: Why was that scary?
2: I wasn't scared of nothing.
0: Oh. So this little dream image that he's telling us is that he dreamed that he was sleeping in the living room chair, but when he woke up, he was really sleeping in his bed and... He calls it a bad dream, but he clearly doesn't mean that that was a scary dream. He says he wasn't scared. I think he means that it was a dream that was trying to trick him. And that's why it was a bad dream, because he was, you know, disoriented when he woke up and he thought he was somewhere else. So I don't think we'll do a huge interpretation of this dream. There's not a lot there. I mean, he dreamed he was sleeping somewhere when really he was sleeping somewhere else. So you could try to make of that that he was feeling out of place or ungrounded or something. But this is probably just a little dream image. But I include it not so that we can delve deeply into the meaning, but just so that you can see that even three-year-olds have these really real dreams that they can remember and tell you and talk about. I do think it's interesting that he classified that as a bad dream, though, because it it kind of seems like That means he thinks it's bad when he doesn't quite know where he is. Maybe it's very important for him to feel centered and grounded and like he knows what to expect and where he's going to be each day. Next, he's going to tell me something that isn't really a dream, but it's clearly something he's been thinking about and shows that he has some strong opinions and convictions. So I'm just including this as another demonstration of the deep personalities that we can see in kids, even when they're just three.
2: And you know what? And mm-hmm. my other dream is called this. We always get donuts when the coronavirus stops. Mm. And when we were watching I iPad, like iPod, the baby got coronavirus. Yeah.
0: Oh, the baby got
2: coronavirus? Yeah.
0: Oh, that's too bad.
2: Yeah, I would never want coronavirus no we have a coronavirus and and mommy just got coronavirus I don't have
0: coronavirus
2: yeah but mommy got but you got coronavirus I did not get coronavirus (laughs) yes you did mom no I didn't you did get coronavirus you said you got coronavirus you mean when we had to test Daddy for coronavirus? Yeah, but but Mom got coronavirus, but not that He didn't get coronavirus. But now Mom, but now Mommy doesn't have coronavirus. Somebody else has the like, has Mommy's coronavirus.
0: That was good. Those were some good stories for me. That's the show for this week. In the next episode, we will interpret several dreams that are about transformation. So hopefully that'll be an uplifting motivational episode. I think we all deserve that about now. Head on over to my website at stuffofdreams.fireside.fm to find show notes for each episode where I summarize the dream interpretation principles we discuss each week. You can also find links there to my favorite dream interpretation book, our subreddit and my email for sending in your dreams. So thank you so much for listening. And if you liked it, I encourage you to tell a friend about it this week. Let's get more people fluent in the language of dreams. Bye for now. And I hope you dream tonight.